welcome back, everyone, to our I Believe in Love book study. Kara, it is hard to believe, but it's week five already. Yes. We're on conference five. We're halfway through. Hopefully everyone has enjoyed it so far. Yes. Full disclosure, <laughs> if you hear any noise in the background, at the time of our recording, we have 15 children in my house. <laughs> So it is possible that you might hear some chatter in the background. If you don't, by the end, if you haven't heard anything, I think we deserve applause. So feel free to applaud for yes, us if you yes. didn't hear any kids. Yes. All right, Kara, what stood out to you in this chapter? Just diving right in. Just going to dive okay. right in. Right. No <laughs> chit chat, no banter. I'm just going to dive We right don't do in. that. <laughs> um, so, okay, this, this chapter is titled Great Desires, Humility, and Peace. And so... When I went back and looked over all of my notes that I made in this chapter after reading it for this study, it kind of was like a thread for me, um, just looking at the desire, humility, and peace and like how those three words are interrelated into this chapter. And what kind of came to mind for me was um, this theme of desire really related to a desire for holiness and then humility which I love, we'll probably get into this. I loved the connection it made to humility as being the narrow gate in the passage of Matthew. Um, humility is that path to holiness. So we desire holiness. Humility is that path to holiness. And then when we are aiming for that, peace is the result or the fruit of that. And so I think like those three things put together in this chapter was very brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kara's teaching charism is coming out. I always think of ordered things, mm-hmm. which is so weird actually, because my reading comprehension comprehension is like it used to be awful sometimes it's still awful but I remember when I was this is such a tangent I remember when I was in school and they would always pull aside kids have Mm -hmm. you do like reading with one-on-one with person they'd be like what did you just read about and the story was about guerrilla warfare (laughs) and they were like what did you just read about and I just sat there and I was like um gorillas (laughs) like I had no idea that's funny so now it's a little bit different but it's okay yeah a little bit different so now it's just weird being like that's kind of how my brain works it just Mm. kind of like tries to find the theme and like order things that's but that grace yeah it's 100 grace um so i i enjoyed that theme in in how this chapter was structured and the thing that really stood out to me it was the very first page um we must desire to be not only good but holy and i i related to that i think i started this whole study in chapter one with how this book had really influenced me and that is what it was you know I was like yeah I'm kind of just being a good Catholic and this book was what propelled it like I want to be holy I want to be a saint and so I really like that just the desire that should be within us to want to be a saint mm-hmm. not just be good people yeah Kara, on that very next page the what will men not do to gain public rec- recognition. Mm. And he goes through like all the stuff we'll do mm-hmm. to be famous. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of our culture, you know, with everyone. Everyone can be famous. Everyone yeah. can be a so-called influencer, right? you know, and social media uh, help has helped propel that. Yeah. And yet he asked the question, you called to partake in the intimate life of the Holy Trinity, to know God as he knows himself, to love him as he loves himself how sad it would be if you were merely to creep along in indifference. Yeah. In order to rise out of mediocrity and lukewarmness, renew your desires. Yeah. 
And I found myself like immediately going to scripture. Like scripture says the same thing. It's actually Jesus that says that in Revelation, Revelation 3, 15 through 22 mm-hmm. in particular. He says he's talking to the church at Laodicea, I think it is. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Right. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. I have arrived. Mm-hmm. I'm famous. I have 10,000 <laughs> followers. Yeah. That's not true, by the way. <laughs> but not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments to clothe you and keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen. Sounds That's such imagery. Yes, it is. I love the, I love, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm, right. he will spit you out of his mouth. And that's not said out of like any kind of no. malice. It's Jesus. Right. It's said out of love because he wants you to have this desire for holiness. And it's so like human. We yeah. can relate to it. Like who likes lukewarm anything? Right. You like it cold or you like yeah, it I pop hot. it in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not an in between. And, but he goes further those whom I love, he talks about like, I correct those whom I love. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as my myself conquered and sat down with my father on this throne. Mm-hmm. I think that passage is the theme of this chapter. Yeah. Him who conquers. Mm-hmm. What is it that we conquer? Our own will, our own pride. That's what we conquer. We have to take, that's what taking up the cross is, which I think this whole chapter really, yeah, like it's rooted in that scripture. Yeah, it And that is. just really stood out to me right away. Yeah. I think it stands out to me too, Kara, as we are pursuing our ministry work together, like I wrestle with the idea that am I just being prideful? Right. Um, and so I also f- found some encouragement. I'm jumping from the beginning to the end yeah. of the chapter yeah, yeah. with this, but- on page 134 and 135, he gives a good measure of, if, if you're someone like me that struggles with, am I being prideful? Mm-hmm. I think he lays out a good case for how to discern that rightly. He says, to have a proud nature and to be a proud person are not the same thing. Once again, the truly proud man is the one who takes pleasure in his pride, who sees no evil in it, who thinks he does not need mercy and refuses it. This is not the case with you. And Kara, when I read that, I felt like it was like the Lord talking to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like This is not the case with you. <laughs> yeah. This is not the case with you who do not consent to it, especially mm-hmm. since you believe in Jesus, who repairs, who purifies, who permits evil only in order to draw a greater good from it. Right. I think I needed those words mm-hmm. just to like know where's my heart and why, why, why am I doing this? Am yeah. I seeking it for the sake of being hot right you know right and trying to make others hot you know it it's it's not seeking passing things it's as opposed to lukewarm is that what you mean being yes hot? Yeah. that's what i mean like i want others to be hot as well right and that's why we do what we do kara we say on fire right on fire <laughs> we want yes. them to be on yeah. fire um i was trying to use the words <laughs> Of the scripture, but that, that is a, I'm hot and I want you to be hot too. You know, that does sound yeah, fun. We'll clarify. We'll clarify that. Um, I think it's an easy way to put it is a truly, a truly prideful person would probably never admit they are prideful. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's something that 
one, if someone's concerned about, like, I want to grow in humility, am I growing in humility? It's not something to grow scu- scrupulous about. Right. But the fact, the mere fact that you're trying to right. grow in humility is where mm. God wants you. Yeah. You know, mm. I think that speaks to Therese too. Like, right. this whole thing is about her, her, her little way mm-hmm. of love. Um, so I can be proud of my humility. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> That's like an inside joke where like, I'm proud of my humility. One time Fred said that and like, I don't think the person next to us knew he was joking. Right. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. It didn't go over well. It was so. great. <laughs> um, but that theme is like something that stood out to me as well. Just the, the, the humility, but it's not, humility is not just something that is, you know, the antithesis of pride. I mm. see humility as very much what, you know, Therese in the little way, in the small things. And I really loved on um, page 122, I'm not going to read it, but I really liked how the author in this conference pointed out that even Jesus, he is, it says, uh, what a contrast with Jesus. We spoke of his follies and love. Why were they follies of love? Because they were follies of humility and annihilation. And then it goes into all of the ways in scripture that Jesus is humiliated, but he's humiliated for the sake of love. And I like the theme of humiliation, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But what I pulled from that was like all of these things in Jesus's life. Well, in scripture, there are so many things that are small and insignificant and humiliating that are elevated to be so beautiful. And and a couple examples of that would be the manger. I mean, it's a feeding trough for animals and yet it becomes something so holy that we Mm -hmm. celebrate every single year. The cross was a folly for Jews, a stumbling block, uh, no folly for Gentiles, a stumbling block for Jews. and, And yet it's elevated to this perfect image of love and it was such humiliation small things mustard seed the grain of wheat that has to fall and die in order for Mm -hmm. something to be grown bread something as simple as bread right right like all of these small things that become so so significant to us in scripture and so rich with meaning and something like that god continually references that Christ continually references and we mentioned this in the last conference is a child and that relationship with a child and a father but he elevates children I mean so much so that he became a child but um at the top of page 126 it says he foresaw at this moment the army of little souls the marvelous army of the very small called to reconquer the world for his heart. I think that is so beautiful. Um, and I, I was reminded of a passage that um, during one of the trainings I attended for something different where we did Alexio Divina on it. Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Yes, right? it's Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, yes. Um, and we did Alexio Divina on Psalms chapter 8. And it says, From the mouths of infants and babes, you have established a bulwark from your enemies. So a bulwark is basically like this wall um, protecting them, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so it's like a stronghold. And I related that, you know, he's built up an army of little souls, an army of the very small and I, when I was doing that Lexio, I just pictured Christ in the middle and like all of these evil, like evil spirits or whatever were trying to come at God. And of course we know he's triumphant, but surrounding him were just like circles and circles of circles, like an arena full of children mm-hmm. and nothing was penetrating anything. Like he has chosen the small and the child to right. elevate, to protect him yeah, and to like have this beautiful place. And I think that's. Like that's the image of humility. Yeah, as you say that, I picture the Spartans. Yeah, you know, all you huddled together, 
united with all their shields up. Mm-hmm. And that was the strength of the Spartans was yeah. was their shields. What does St. Paul says the shield is? It's the faith. Yeah. Like that we're all taking up our shield of faith and trying to come together. Right to protect one another, to edify one another. Mm-hmm. And when those shields are all locked, that was the strength of the Spartans. Right, we're stronger. Like if you let your shield down, that was the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I just, I see that in the imagery. Yeah. Like we are those children. Yeah. You listening to this book study right now. I don't know, I just see that in the imagery. So maybe spend some time reflecting on that. I don't know, as the baby cries in the background. Yeah. Um, as we're talking about just this theme of of humility and smallness I guess um I will admit I cried during this chapter <laughs> mm. um just kind of and I rem- I actually remember I don't remember if it was this specific conference but I remember the very first time I went through this book I sobbed during one of the chapters and just like paused reading wherever I was and started writing in my journal just like thanking Therese for mm. how beautiful her little way was and like desiring that mm-hmm. and I feel like this was kind of like in the same vein whether or not I don't think it was the same part But um, on page 125, when it's talking about how, you know, God prefers the poor, the disgraced, the destitute, and the needy because they are generally more humble. And then it goes into talking about little Bernadette, who said, if the Holy Virgin had found a child at Lourdes more poor and ignorant than she, it would have been that child whom she would have chosen. And I started crying because it was like this moment of, I mean, so often I always ask, like, why have you chosen me for this work? What, like, how... How ha- how am I the one who is going to carry out any of this work that you have called me to? And it was like a moment in reading that passage where it's like, you have chosen me because I am nothing. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like kind of one of those humbling moments, but in a way that's like, like there's peace, you know, right. like what I said, yeah. like peace is the fruit of a desire for holiness and growth and humility. And it's like, I have so far to go and I will continue that journey my entire life. But right. it was just like a moment of that, like how peaceful is it to just admit I am nothing right? without God. Like he's the one who's going to do it. And it's, it's us who are able to admit people who are able to admit without Christ, I can do nothing that he wants to work through because yeah. we're giving him the space to then work in us. Right. Then the next page over, he who honestly puts himself in the last place mm-hmm. is not astonished when others put him there too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you, but it hurts to be looked over. Yeah. It, it, it hurts to, your opinion doesn't matter. Right. And I think a lot of people, we've all encountered that in the workplace even. Right. Like, you know, decisions are made that affect you, mm-hmm. but your input doesn't matter. Right. Or you have ideas that don't seem to be valued. Um, that that hurts. Yeah. It's hard not to take that personally. And, and that can be a real hurtful thing. And yet he who honestly puts himself in last place is not astonished when others do the same. I kind of wonder, like you say, you know, when people overlook you, it hurts. But this is talking about we should just remain in peace. Like it does talk about, right. you know, sometimes, yes, we're going to be lacking peace, but really interiorly our souls are tranquil. But mm-hmm. it says uh, on page 129, it says, when we decide on some action, nine times out of 10, we keep asking ourselves, what are people going to think? <laughs> what will so-and-so think if I do this? And not, what will Jesus think? Right. And if we truly turned our eyes towards what is Jesus thinking of me right now? Then it doesn't hurt. Like we're exactly. able to yeah. accept that. Yeah, that that is the that is the trouble. Yeah, like I I think that hurt that we feel in those moments. Yeah, 
is asking those questions. Right. It is like, what does someone think about? What me? do they think about mm-hmm. me? They must not think I'm, uh, you know, worthy, or they must not think that I I'm that good. Or but the root of that is pride. It, like it we want pride. to be, yeah. you know, acknowledged. Right. Rather, what would Jesus think? Yeah, I have. I actually remember there was one time um, where just like in work life where some things were going on that I was just growing very discouraged of the things that like I was hoping to accomplish. And I remember going and sitting in adoration and just feeling like very, very small. I actually remember saying that to God, like, Lord, I just feel so small. And I was coming at it from a place of anger. Like I didn't want to feel small. I wanted to feel useful. I wanted to not be looked over like what you said, Fred. Right. And so like, I was praying like angry and trying to vent to God. I'm like, I just feel so small. And I think I added, I said, I feel so small. I just want to light the world on fire. Mm. And his response was, even the wildest of fires begin as just a small ember. Right. And so it was like, oh, I, just yeah. got, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, because it, it was the Holy Spirit who said it. Amen. Like, I never could have come up with that. Right. Um, and like in that, I remember in that moment in adoration when I felt like the Lord was was saying that it was an immediate shift. Like, you know, when someone mm. says something and about any situation and you're just like, oh, OK, well, that's resolved. Right? And it yeah. truly is resolved. Yeah. That's how it was for me in that moment. I I heard him say that, and it it was like I just started smiling, and I was like, "Lord, let me feel small, let Amen. me be small," and Amen. it was just like changed from that, that. That's beautiful, Kara. That's absolutely right. Uh, the author talks about that peace comes from that fidelity to grace, which is what you had. You had a moment of grace, mm-hmm. and you just received it. That's what brings that peace is those moments like that. Right. You know. Yeah. I love how he talks about. The equilibrium of soul, as you say, like things, there can be trouble about us. And he he talks about the waters. It could be a storm. Mm -hmm. And at the top of the waters, they could be troubled, but deep down, they're completely still. Mm -hmm. And that like, that's what it needs to be like. Yeah. And I love how he says this, the fruit of peace is supernatural calm. Mm -hmm. Jesus sleeping in the boat. Once again, he keeps okay with that and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, the devil fishes in troubled waters. Whoever lets himself be troubled or herself does not see clearly anymore, stumbles, falls into panic, and ceases to judge rightly. Kara, I can think of many examples in my life where even doing things that I knew the Lord wanted me to do, mm-hmm. out of fear, I reacted too early. Right. Abraham comes to mind. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. exactly what Abraham did. Yeah. But I've had those moments in my own life too. We can be very, he says, we can be very shaken, very upset as long as it's only on the surface, but the depths of our souls must remain tranquil. Mm-hmm. And this is the hardest thing to to accept, Kara. He says, we may lose everything, but you do not have the right to lose your peace. Yeah, I love that. I think Jesus is actually the best example of that. Um one of the phrases that says in this chapter, where I have passed, you can pass too. And it's after recounting like all of the ways that he is humiliated, where mm-hmm. naturally our human nature would be troubled. Right. You know, all of those situations. And yet yeah. he remains at peace. And so like he has passed through these things. He has passed through humiliations, right. but he's at peace. Like that's the example yeah. for us. I love how how he illustrates that with like, you're 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 united in Christ. He doesn't use those words, but that's basically what he's saying. Like you're following Jesus in those humiliations. Mm-hmm. 
except you're not even walking in his steps. He's actually carrying you. Yes, I liked that. So yeah. it's like, it's one better. Right. Like, yeah, he suffered the same thing. Get over it. You get over it in a way. He's basically saying get over it. Yeah. But but not in a not in the typical American pick yeah. yourself up by your bootstraps sort of way, but in a rest in the grace. Yeah, there's joy. And, like you have no reason for right. it because God's here. And he's carrying you yeah. in the midst of that struggle. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. And I think it's so hard, like going off of the humiliation thing. Like, I mean, it literally says one of the greatest humiliations is the tabernacle until the end of time. Right. Like God has humbled himself, not just to become man, not just to be obedient unto death, which is the kenosis in scripture. He humbles himself every single day to just live in a tabernacle, to right. live in a box. And, it, and like that that's uh, one of the greatest humiliations. And yet he says, our natures detest humiliation. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. how like we have to overcome that to the detesting humiliation and allow ourselves to be humiliated because just like a child, it uses that example. A child isn't like he's not surprised when he stumbles and falls. We shouldn't be surprised when we're humiliated. Yeah. Because we're going to be. <laughs> right. That's yeah. how we learn. That's how yeah. we grow. Right. It's kind of a Catholic spirituality dad joke, I suppose. But you say that the humiliation of their tabernacle, I think the fact that I get to be a tabernacle for Jesus every mm -hmm. time I go to Mass, that feels like an even bigger humiliation. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like know? he enters into all of us. Right. We are, I mean, that's such an act of love and we are so, like we're such imperfect examples right. of what we are supposed to be to the world and be mm. Christ. Like even that, it's like, man, I must humiliate Christ all the time. <laughs> yeah. And yet right. he sees me as a child and rejoices in me, you yeah. know? Yeah. Kira, those words shortly after that really stand out to me too, because this has been something we've been talking a lot mm -hmm. about in this journey we're on together and our families. There's no failure for the apostle who knows how to wait for the appointed time of Jesus, even if it should come after his death. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. I don't want to wait that long. I know. Like there were hardships that we were kind of going through um, in just like discerning kind of ministry things. and mm -hmm. and Talking about earlier in the year. Yeah. And it kind of felt a little bit like the humiliations explained in this book of walking through the sorrowful right. mysteries. Yeah. But then when we realize like after what comes after the crucifixion, the great one of the greatest humiliations, the resurrection, one of the greatest triumphs. Yeah. And so we have to rejoice in our failures and in our humiliations right. because when we grow and when there's that beautiful resurrection, mm -hmm. then then comes the peace. That's the fruit. Yeah. Kara, I think that's beautiful. And I think in a way you've kind of summed up our year. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful that you share that, Kara. Mm, yeah. Um, so if I think that kind of sums up the chapter, um, so hopefully other people reading this have gotten great graces from, um, from this chapter, um, from this discussion. And if you want to hear more from Fred and I, um, be sure to check out the Draw Near podcast on all podcast platforms. And we will continue with conference six next week.